Mr. Senior Warden, Mr. Junior Wardens, Mr. Treasurer, Mr. Secretary, fellow Christ Church beloved family, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been my privilege these nine and a half years, every, every time in January, to give you an update of what the Lord has done in our midst. And it's interesting that it's been since 2007 on a windswept, snowy December day, the third Sunday of Advent in particular, that my former rector and our current bishop at that time, Martin Minns, was the one to install me as the rector of St. Barnabas Anglican Church. And as I stand here among you this morning, I can say with the utmost confidence, friends, we're doing all right. We're doing okay. We can do better. We own that, and that's what this is about. Where can we improve? But we're doing all right. And as I look across the Anglican landscape, you know, there are a lot of churches which are struggling. They really are. And when I look deeper under the covers of what's really going on under there, what I'm seeing are churches that are, A, they left for the wrong reason, or two, they're stuck in 1955, or there's a variety of reasons. But you know what happens when you have a siege mentality, right? You know, you're in a siege, and, you, and you're holding out, and you're getting away from the enemy, and you don't go out, you stay there. Well, sooner or later, you're going to run out of food or water. Well, my friends, we, we, we're starting to bust out. We, we, we've landed on our feet. And we had prayed, at least I had prayed, I know, and many of you had, for 30 years that our former denomination would change, and the Lord answered our prayers in a different way. Because he was doing a good work and a different work in each and every one of us. And so, as we left, and after three moves, three different location changes, the Lord has brought us to this place where, God willing, we will labor together for years and years to come with the emphasis on being a healthy Christian church. Okay? That's where our emphasis is, being healthy disciples of Jesus Christ. So what's been going well? Well, a few things I've noticed. Number one, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm open to you know, comments afterwards. But the first thing that I notice that's going real well is look around you. We're in a building. <laughs> you know? People told us, and we thought, you know, it's true, you know, the church is not a building, right? And that was our mantra when we went away from that building in 2011. Guess what? That's not true. The culture doesn't see it that way. All right? Biblically, it's true because we know we are the church gathered as people and individuals. Yes, 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 Lord, that's true. Uh, but the Cleveland culture doesn't buy it. And neither does the Pittsburgh culture that I ministered in, and neither does people in the Deep South that I know. You know? When people say, I'm going to church, guess where they're thinking? Building. Right? So thank God he's brought us here and provided us a place that one day we will make ourselves our home. That's going well. Two, the next thing that's going well is for the first time in five years, we're having an uptick in participation and attendance on Sundays. Our average Sunday attendance in 2011 was 217. 
it had grown from 135 when I first arrived in 2007. And we've been steadily going down <laughs> since 2011. So for the first time this year, our attendance is up. Now, if you look at our annual report, you'll see that our average Sunday attendance this year was 164. Compared to last year, over the whole time, it isn't that much up. But let me tell you what I've noticed. Last fall, in 2015, okay, 2015, the average Sunday attendance was 149. This year, in our new location, the average Sunday attendance was 159. 7% growth, and we've added five new families this year. Praise be to God. And so, the Lord's doing a new thing. We're starting to see an uptick again. Praise God. Third, and it's not a small thing. I don't know if you've noticed, but we've been planting a church in Lakewood. You know? And it's great to see what the Lord's doing through Sean's ministry there with this, this very uh, dynamic group of people who, who moved to Lakewood intentionally to move back into the city. It's the number one place young college graduates move to in Cleveland, by the way, is Lakewood. So we're trying to reach them with the good news of the gospel, and that is a significant effort on our part and theirs. And so Sean and I have come to agreement, it's a lot of work for them, and he needs to focus his energy there, so I encourage you to read his report and the annual report, but the reality is, he's only going to be out here one Sunday a month on the second Sunday, because he needs to focus there, and it's a lot of hard work, so please continue to pray for them. Next, phenomenally, is we've had a movement more in small groups this year that we haven't had in years past. You know, especially because of the journey groups that have happened. We've got 25 people in our particular journey groups, and we've got other groups around the church. So you've heard me say, if you're not in a group, get in a group. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to be more bold in it, and so are the rest of us. Because the first century church, it would be inconceivable for a person who would be a Christian and not be part of a small group beyond the Sunday gathering. It's a very Western thing, by the way, to just go to church and go home. I want to encourage you. We need one another. You won't be asked to pray out loud. You won't be asked to read out loud. But your presence is welcomed and encouraged because we need one another. So I want to encourage you in that. So... So where are we headed and what's our focus for 2017? A couple of two policy changes that we've done over the past couple of years, but I've never really mentioned it because there are also diocesan changes as well. The first is our policies on weddings and funerals, okay? Because the culture has redefined what marriage is, God hasn't. So we've had to refine our marriage policies to marry only members and members' children. And if the members' children want to come home and they're from out of town and they want to be married, that's fine. But they have to have a letter from the pastor stating that they're an active member in a confessing Bible-believing church. That keeps us safe from lawsuits that could happen. And we've got to be very consistent and Bay Prez has done the same thing. Because our ministry center is housed out of Bay Prez, we have to have their same policies. But it was fascinating as they came to me, a little nervous that our policies were different. You know? Uh, they're practically exactly the same. So we want you to know that. 
Uh, and I delight. It's one of the most favorite things I do is perform weddings. But the reality is they, they need to be weddings of members or children of members who are members of an, another local church. Secondly, concerning weddings, I no longer sign, and most clergy don't, sign the wedding license anymore. Because the states changed the definition of marriage. I'm not going to sign it. God determines what marriage is, and so that forces the couple to take one extra step, like they do in Europe, by the way, is you have one extra step to be married legally by recognized by the state, you go to the justice of the peace. You want your church wedding? I'd love to do it, but I don't care what the state says. And so we've been doing that now for a while, and I want you to be aware of that, and most Anglican churches are doing that now as a witness to the culture. Secondly, uh, regarding funerals. You know, the funeral home industry has hijacked what, what it means to do funerals here. You know, as soon as, you know, someone goes into distress and maybe passing, they, the first phone call people have been making is to the funeral home. That's not your first phone call. Please, call me and I can come minister, or Bob, and we can minister to you. One of the greatest disappointments I've had over the past couple years is people call me and say, you know, Dad died, we're going to have his funeral on such and such a date, and I have to say, I'm not available. You know, why didn't you call me? Did, did anybody pray with you? Did anybody come and minister the gospel to you? Because that's what Christians do. And, and, and I want to encourage you all. That when it comes to that last time, we don't do last rites, by the way, but we do do a commendation. We, we give our loved one to the Lord and his mercy in the gospel. We do that kind of ministry, and it's a great privilege of mine to be invited into people's homes when they're the most vulnerable. Please. And when it comes to the ceremony itself, the new preamble to the burial service in the Anglican prayer book, which is going to come out, reminds us that funerals are to look forward, not backward. And I don't know who began the tradition in the Saint, former St. Saint Barnabas community, but I inherited a practice of eulogies during funerals. All right? Some eulogies were fine, but many of them were inappropriate, godless, promoting godless and sinless behavior, sinful behavior, and one even slammed us for our biblical stance. So I don't know who started this, whether it was Bill Brown, Arthur Lynch, or Jim Tasker. I've never seen it before. I've been in the Anglican church my entire life, and I've never seen it before. We don't do them anymore, all right? I'm sorry that offends some of you. Actually, I'm not sorry, all right? This is the way it is. Because the prayer book points us to the good news of the gospel because funerals are for the living, not the dead. All right? And so my job is to weave that person's story. And there's no way a, a, a funeral homily can possibly tell everything. And you don't want to sit through hours and hours of how Uncle Ralph got trashed at the Christmas dinner. Oh, yeah. Okay. These types of things are inappropriate because I knew Uncle Ralph as a Christian. 
and as a transformed life. And yeah, we're all flawed, but there's no place for them in the Anglican prayer book. And I want you to be aware of that. Next, I think, as we look forward to 2017, I think the whole thrust of our year is intentional discipleship. That we're a people of in making intentional choices to walk in Jesus Christ together as the body of Christ. I have holding in my former dirt-stained baseball diamond hands the July 2014 National Church Development Profile. Many of you took it and remember that time. We're focusing on being, if you, if you imagine with me, an old oaken bucket that's wood, right? And you got staves around that bucket with a metal band around it. And over 70 years, those staves start to wear. And if the water that you pour into the bucket is our health as a church community, then you're only as healthy as your lowest stave and the water starts to seep out. Our lowest stave has been, and I think it still is, because we've never really attacked it, although we talk about it a lot, is need-oriented evangelism. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But I think it's just taking all the elements of being a healthy Christian and intentionally living into those realities in our membership and baptism covenant. In other words, first... We have a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not, I go to church. It's not, I serve on this ministry or that ministry. It's not, you know, I give so much money. It's a, I have a relationship with the living God who loved me with an everlasting love. And it's from that motivation I serve. And as you do that, as you start to grow in that relationship with the Lord, have you noticed your affections change? Have you noticed your desires and what used to be important is no longer? Is that describing you? Two, from that passionate relationship with the Lord, I develop loving relationships with my friends in church. And if we look around the room, you know, many of us, what unites us most is our walk with Christ. Right? Because that's what the Lord does. He takes people of a variety of interests and talents and what have you, brings them together under the gospel. So my question there is, who knows you? Not who do you know, who really knows you and do, can do life together with. From there, you're encouraged to be in a holistic small group. That you're not living an isolated and anonymous life that's strange, and that's one of the prayer things I pulled out at the annual meeting, that increasingly in our midst, that isolation and anonymity would appear strange, and we would be get to know one another and serve together and be in a small group together. So if you're not in a group, get in a group. We're going to be bold on you because you can't be isolated. Next is, we're gonna, from that, we're going to do gift-oriented ministry. If you don't know your gifts, take the Spiritual Gifts Workshop next fall when we offer it. It's a great workshop on knowing who you are and how your giftings are, and you can walk in the reality of them. And it's from that gifting we engage in meeting our neighbors' needs and sharing the good news with them. Friends, since 2014, we have been targeting dormant individuals. I want to continue to pray that way. 
and ask the Lord to use us and get equipped. We'll have an evangelism workshop in the spring. We're having next month a Bible and apologetics workshop so that we, you, you know what you believe and why. And from there, we're able to share. And if you, you, I encourage you to pray about getting involved with the Journey Group Ministry because that's what it's all about. Training, giving you opportunities, and then the leader modeling with you what it means, not only just to share the gospel, what it means to be a person of the word, what it means to be a person of prayer, what it means to be a person of just active acts of random kindness. <laughs> just getting out there intentionally and attempting to do such things. Next factor is inspiring worship services, that when we gather, the world hears. When we sing, we sing. And by the way, as I told you last week, make a joyful noise, pick one. You know, my friend Brian talked about that. You know, uh, if you're not singing, I know some of you guys, I can't sing. You can make a noise, you know. It's okay. My dad could not carry a tune in a bucket and he sang because of that command. He said, he would turn around and say, I'm sorry. And he would sing and just, just belt it out. <laughs> Wes, Wes was an all right guy. He goes, I apologize, but I'm going to make a joyful noise. Get used to it, you know. It was great. Because in God's ears, it's beautiful. That we, our singing reflects our theology and it reflects our heart and our love and our passion for the Lord. And not just our singing but our listening to the word, our preaching of the word, our teaching of the word, every part of it. And that when you walk away, you come here having known you met the Lord. Last two is empowering leadership. That we raise up leaders to serve. And last is we have effective structures, efficient structures. Look at the annual report. We're trying to tweak them so that we're more efficient in those ways we do ministry together. Now, need-oriented evangelism. When Bishop Minns installed me, he gave us a charge. Do you remember that? Lucy does. He said, each one of you, reach another person with the gospel within the next three years. Is that doable? He said. We all said, oh yeah, that's doable. That Sunday, we had about 150 people in church. You know, our average Sunday attendance was 162. Um, friends, we got a ways to go, all right? We got a ways to go. All right, this is what I said. All right, we own it. So let's get equipped, and let's recognize that our evangelism flows from our discipleship. So get in a group. That's your charge. Get in a group. Do life together. Know one another. Grow as disciples. Because what Christian faith is, is a radical, selfless love that loves the Lord and one another so that the nation sits up and pays attention. Because that's what the gospel was that Bob just read. I don't know if you, you noticed. Okay? This is what it is. At the end of verse 25 of chapter 4, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. Because the world sits up and takes notice. So I want to encourage all of you to consider to be in some kind of small group of some kind. 
and that living an isolated life is foreign to the gospel. Get in a group. My seniors, I want to encourage you if you're retired and you're able to drive, because some people I say this to aren't, aren't able to. They're just, they, they can't drive themselves, what have you. Well, then they can be our prayer warriors. And we're going to add them, whether they want to or not, to the prayer ministry. Because we need their prayers, because they're passing the torch to us. But for you other seniors, we got a phenomenal group that meets every Wednesday at 10.30 in the morning. I want to encourage you, come be part of that. It's more than just a service. Because I give the sermon, then we tear it apart. We discuss it. And it's a wonderful time with all my retired folks who really want to make an impact for the kingdom together. And at the end of the service, we circle up and we pray. And if it gets too big, okay, well, then we'll divide up into two groups. You know, it's like we can, we can work here. But don't go telling me I got my water aerobics class that day or I'm watching the prices right, all right? What are you doing to get in a group? I'm going to push you because this is healthy Christianity because I love you. And the people who love you tell you the truth in love. So I would encourage you, seniors, we got that, that Wednesday group. For adults and parents, we got all kinds of groups, right? All kinds. All over the place. Women's groups on Tuesday. I call them my daughters of the Holy Cross. Great. Linda Jackson's been leading that group for years. They do a great Bible study. They're walking through Romans now. Uh, there's CBS, those of you who are involved with CBS. Stacy's a core leader. Talk to Stacy. Um, she's here. Catherine and Sue are away on a trip this weekend. All right, Rob? I think they are. Out in Colorado getting trained. Great Bible study, if you can be part of that. Gentlemen, there's a s two Saturday morning groups. Ray, one meets over at Bob Schaefer's house. Um, a group of guys of our older guys meet, as well as we have a group that meets here early in the morning, starting in February, with the Calvary group. It's wonderful. And there's always room for you in the Avon Lake group. We meet tonight. We'd love to have you come. We're studying what does it mean to be a gospel-shaped worshiping church as we worship the Lord together. We got babysitting. Maddie Hamp, the expert babysitter, is, is, is here in the house. And she does a great job watching over our kids. Uh, friends, come join us. And, of course, next year, consider being part of the Journey group. I want to especially encourage everybody that it flows from a passionate love for the Lord in that relationship, not a mere morality, because morality doesn't work. Because what we see in this passage, if I were to, have to preach from this passage, the message would have been, don't be ashamed, for the gospel is the light of the world. Because that's exactly what Matthew does. I don't know if you checked it, but he, he says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. He's quoting Isaiah there. And later on in that verse, we get to that, that passage where it says he's the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace in Isaiah chapter 9. Because Jesus is the light of the world. Isn't it interesting that the very text that's assigned out of the lectionary is the very Thing that we need to work on. <laughs> that the collect for today was a collect that said, may we proclaim an epiphany collect. Ladies and gentlemen, we exist 
to help build a great community for all people that brings through it a movement of the gospel that brings personal conversion, discipleship and community, and meets the needs of our neighborhoods and brings cultural renewal, revival to our neighborhoods and therefore to the world as we're scattered. I want to encourage you this day to keep it going. Did you notice that Peter, James, John, Andrew immediately picked up their nets and went? Did you notice that? Twice that word is used. Immediately they left. No reservations. I want you to imagine you're holding your net and Jesus says, I'm going to teach you to be fishers of men. And I know when some of you hear that, you come into church and you tuck that net up and you put it in your purse. <laughs> or, gentlemen, we, we tuck that net up and we stick it in our pocket, you know. But you want to. I know you do. Just remember that a heart that's soft to the things of God can do mighty things in this God's kingdom. These were less educated fishermen. <laughs> they didn't know what many of us already know. So I want to remind you and encourage you that there is no reason to be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all kinds of people in all kinds of places. I've experienced it. You've experienced it. May we shine it in our day because of what he's done. Not to gain a thing, but out of sheer love for the Lord and one another. In closing, I've shared with you often the story of Charles Simeon. I think it reminds us. I've been here nine and a half years. If, if this were a hockey game, the first period is drawing to a close. I pray, God willing, I'll be here for at least 20 more years. Charles Simeon was at Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge, England. For the first 20 years, his vestry locked the box pews so people couldn't sit in the chairs. Can you imagine? Because the vestry didn't like him, and they stopped paying him, and they asked him to leave. The bishop said, nope, he's my man. I'll pay his salary. So they paid his salary from the diocese. Can you imagine that? He kept preaching God's word. He'd be walking to church on Sunday morning, and hoodlums would be throwing rotten vegetables at him. Every Sunday, the vestry would pay the hoodlums to bean him with rotten tomatoes as he walked to church in the morning. But it's interesting thing about God's word, as it continues to go out, it starts to change lives. And when the true gospel is proclaimed, it begins to change hearts. And when the true gospel goes out, we find our affections begin to change. And all of a sudden, 20 years later, renewal busted out. As I share at the annual meeting, I think the Lord has just laid us as wet cement. We're still, the foundation of Christ Church is still being formed. I thank God for each and every one of you for hanging in there with me. Oh, I believe the Lord will do great things through us, but we'll let him determine what great things means, okay? Let's just be healthy Christians, biblically word-formed Christians, 
yielded to the Holy Spirit to be willing to be used in any way he should so should choose. And let's watch and see the great things the Lord will do through us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you that uh, this 2016 has been a good year, and that you've called us, and we're starting to see signs of, of true health. We pray that as we go forth this year with need-oriented evangelism efforts, Lord, we would see people who don't know you, whose, whose lives in you is dormant, or don't even have a clue of who you are, would come to know you because of the faithfulness of this body. Lord, we recognize that there's no possible way in our own strength we can do any of that. And we pray that we would have an ever-increasing dependence upon you and your leadings in our lives. Lord, do that work in us. And may we shine your light that each one of us would reach one other person over the next three years so that you would receive the glory and not us, O oh Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.